Welcome to It Didn't Break Me, a podcast where we have honest and vulnerable conversations around the messy stuff we didn't think we'd come back from, inspiring you to give yourself permission to discover the beauty within the mess and to let go the illusion of perfection. I'm your host, Bianca Keisha Hughes. Hello and welcome to the It Didn't Break Me podcast. I am your host, Bianca Keisha Hughes. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the podcast. You are very welcome. If it is your first time, welcome, welcome. And if it is not your first time, welcome back. I very much appreciate you being here. This is season three of the It Didn't Break Me podcast, and this is episode eight. Just a reminder, this is a seasonal podcast. So if you ever look and be like, where are all the new episodes? It's probably because we're on a break. So a couple of things in this episode, the conversation I have might be triggering for you. So I just want you to be aware of your body, anything you may feel or notice, take a break, step away, you can come back or just not listen at all. It is totally up to you and I want you to do what is most best for you and what you feel most comfortable with. This conversation, oh my gosh, just was right on time for me personally. So I hope it's right on time for you. It is a very moving story that really stretches you beyond your belief, maybe, or maybe not. It did stretch mine in regards to human forgiveness, humans forgiving each other, compassion, and what it means to be filled up with love, light of God. And so this is a very inspirational story. And as I discuss his experience with him, it's definitely inspiring in terms of challenging us to love, to see humans in a different light, to forgive, to not hold on, and to awaken to our true self. So before I get into this episode, I want to go ahead and introduce introduce my guest. Just saying all these words today, but we're just going to leave that in because this is all about living in the mess and beauty within the mess. So <laughs> my guest today is Lion Goodman. Lion is the founder of the Clear Beliefs Institute of Trauma-Informed Therapeutic Coaching. With graduates in 45 countries, he has 40 years experience as a transformational coach, healer, and teacher. His methodology deletes limiting beliefs, childhood wounds, and traumas from the past. Lion is the author of five books, including Clear Your Clients' Limiting Beliefs, Men, Enlightenment, and Creating on Purpose. He has taught workshops on four continents and his writings have been wildly published in books, magazines, and websites. So let's go ahead and get into the conversation. So hello, Lion, and welcome to the It Didn't Break Me podcast. Thank you, Bianca. It's a pleasure to be here. I am so intrigued by your story. Such a powerful story. So we're just going to get into it. What is something you thought would break you, but it didn't? 
Well, it could be phrased, what was something you thought would kill you, but you didn't, mm-hmm. because uh, my story is about actually thinking I was going to die. So uh, should I just launch into the story? Yeah, let's launch into okay. it. Tell us what the experience was and what happened. So I had just graduated from college with a degree in consciousness studies, but nobody was hiring people with degrees in consciousness studies because it was the first such degree ever granted, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I couldn't find a job. So I took a job being a salesman on the road because mm-hmm. I needed to make money. I wanted a bit of a vacation. So for a year and a half, I traveled around the Southwest in an RV van selling jewelry and gift items to stores. And because I had studied spirituality and was a nice guy. I would help people whose cars had broken down. I was like a good Samaritan. And on my way from Las Vegas to LA one day, I came across a fellow whose car had broken down in the middle of the Mojave Desert. It was about 110 degrees outside. Mm-hmm. And so I stopped and said, can I help you? And he said, well, my car, my car's broken. I, I just put $200 into her. I don't, she won't start. I don't know what to do. And I said, well, I'm heading into L.A. Do you want to ride? And he looked at me kind of funny and he said, yeah, OK. And he, he brought his duffel bags and boxes and stuff into my van, which was already pretty crowded. To make a very long story short, we traveled together for three days. I would stop and go into stores. I'd send him on errands as I grew to trust him, gassing up or washing the van, moving boxes around. And the third night, uh, we were camped out in this uh, reservoir area east of L.A., And I was in the back of the van in this crouched position, moving things into cupboards and trying to make things more organized because it was very crowded with all of his stuff and all of my stuff. Uh, And he was in the front of the van listening to music. And suddenly there was an explosion and something hit me in the head. And I didn't know what it was. At first, I thought the gas stove above me had exploded. And so I looked up and the gas stove was intact. And then I looked to my left, and there he was pointing a gun at me from the front seat, and I realized I had been shot. Well, where had you been shot at that time? In the head. Uh, and at first, I thought he was warning me and that he was going to steal my stuff. And at that point, I said, it's all yours. You know, take it all. Right? <laughs> Leave me naked outside in the desert. You know, I'm fine. Just you know, mm-hmm. take it, because my life was worth more than the stuff in the van. And then he shot again. And I realized he wasn't warning me. He was killing. He was going to kill me. Wow. Now, the second bullet missed me by a fraction of an inch. Mm-hmm. But I realized I'm a dead duck. I can't, I'm, I'm a sh- sitting duck because I can't move. He's 12 feet away. His hand's propped up on the back of the seat. And I'm going to die. That was just your thought. I'm going to die. That was it. That was obvious. It was was the obvious thing to conclude. And so because I had studied spirituality, including death and dying, I knew that I didn't want to die angry, upset, or with anything left undone. You had time to think about that? Yeah. That was the first thought. Wow. And so um, I went backwards in my life and sort of a fast movie reel backwards. And I asked forgiveness from all those I had hurt. And I forgave everybody that had hurt me. And then I began connecting with source, with mm-hmm. God, spirit, and said, okay, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to come home. And he shot a third time. And that bullet also missed me, but of course caused me to jump. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And by this time, I was already out of my body, looking down at the scene with this van and two little people inside and finding it kind of interesting and amusing, a little drama going on down there. I was filled with this golden light, Mm -hmm. honey textured golden light in my heart was open and I was ready to meet my maker. And uh, I was enjoying the view, I'll say. (laughs) Uh, And he shot again. He shot a fourth time. And suddenly I was back in my body. I was bleeding from the head profusely. And I thought, oh, that's weird. I'm supposed to be out of my body, but Mm -hmm. I'm back in my body. I wasn't quite sure what was going on. But I, having studied anatomy, physiology, psychology, Mm -hmm. the brain, I was looking around to see what was missing. Because if the bullet had gone through my skull Mm -hmm. into my brain, I ought to be missing something. And so I was doing a scan to see what, you know, what's missing, but I couldn't find anything missing. I felt intact. And so at that point I said, well, if I'm going to die, I want to at least look my assassin in the eyes because I was perpendicular to him. Did that last, did that last shot, the fourth shot, shall I say, the one you just mentioned, the last one, did that hit you or was it just this? Oh yes. It hit me and caused me to bleed profusely. Okay. That's the one that caused it also, (laughs) yeah, it also sent my head to the, to the right. Okay. Uh, sort of violently, sort of suddenly, because mm-hmm. I had been kind of in this relaxed place of okay, God, I'm ready. Yeah. And then suddenly, my head was pushed to the side, and blood was rushing down all over the place. Wow. And so you uh, wanted to look him in the eye. Yeah. So I picked up my head and I turned toward him, and looked at him, and he freaked out, and he jumped up and he said, "Why aren't you dead, man? You're supposed to be dead." And I didn't have an answer for that question. <laughs> so <laughs> no. I just said, here I am. And he said, that's too weird, too weird, man. It's just like my dream this morning. What? That was my response. And I said, what dream? And he said, I dreamed I was shooting at this guy and he wouldn't die, but it wasn't you. It was somebody else in the dream. And at this point, I thought, this is weird. Yes. How did I get into this movie? I don't remember signing a contract. <laughs> What's happening? You know, but I but at the same time I thought, okay, well, if I could keep him talking, maybe he won't shoot me again. And so I started talking to him very slowly because I thought he was all adrenalated, jumping around, looking out windows. I knew there was nobody around anywhere close to us. And if they had heard shots, they certainly wouldn't come investigating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and he, he said, why aren't you dead? I, you, I shot you four times, man. Why aren't you dead? And again, I didn't have an answer for this question. I just said, well, you know, I'm here I am. And and at one point, he kind of came up to me, and he looked at me, and, and he said, does it hurt? And I at that moment, I thought, okay, well, he's gone from wanting to kill me to caring about me. He actually cares. And I said, yeah, I, I'm. it hurts, but I think I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And with a few more exchanges, he finally said, okay, man, I, I'm going to take you to a hospital. I know. And I said, okay. I thought that was a good idea. <laughs> and that exchange, that exchange took some number of minutes. I, I was out of time and space. So I don't really know how long that part took. It seems like it was about a half an hour before he decided that. But then he said, okay, I'm going to take you to the hospital. And he sort of put stuff around me so I couldn't 
leap up out after him. Mm -hmm. And he got in the driver's seat and started driving. So at that point, I know you had really made this conscious decision, a very important conscious decision for peace, even to go at one point. It sounds, of course, you're in shock. Was there any other feelings, any fear or anything like that in this moment as he's, okay, driving, taking me to the hospital, my anything or any other thoughts? No, I was still filled with this love light, this God's love light. Mm -hmm. um, so it really didn't matter what happened next. Uh, I was accepting. I was in acceptance. I was in compassion. I was in love. I was in God's self. So I was just perplexed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just going, what's going on here? I this is odd. This is strange. I you know I had never been attacked like this before, and. Um, didn't know how badly I had been injured, and but I, I felt okay. My head hurt like hell, and I and I sort of, sort of put my hand up to try to feel. But it was all bloody, and I didn't know. I couldn't feel any entrance or exit wounds. I, I didn't know what was going on. I was a bit confused, but I was fully conscious through the, this whole experience. And when we get to talking about trauma, I'll come back mm -hmm. to that fact that I was fully conscious and accepting of the entire experience. And so he drove for a while, I think it was for about a half an hour. So I had some time to think about it and to kind of contemplate and go, what, you know, why, how did I get into this situation? Mm -hmm. I thought about the whole three day sequence of what had happened and, you know, that I'd grown to trust him. And the one conclusion I came to is, I guess I'm not psychic because, <laughs> <laughs> because I had no clue that, that this was on his mind. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I'm just kind of in this zone saying okay we're going to a hospital and you know I'm, i seem to be okay and uh, he finally pulled over stopped the van turned off the lights and there was silence and i realized we're not near a hospital because mm. uh, there was no bright lights okay and so there were there was a few minutes of silence and then he walked back and sat next to me where i was still in this crouch position with a gun in his hand and he said i can't take you to the hospital man i have to kill you and I said, oh, why is that? Always good to be curious, you know. Uh, and he said, because if, if I take you to the hospital, they'll put me back in jail. I can't go back to jail, man. Okay. And I realized, okay, not only is it a person with a gun who's crazy, but an ex-con. <laughs> so it kind of elevated the whole thing. The whole thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, well, you know, maybe maybe I, you won't get turned in. I could drive myself to the hospital. I said, no, man, I can't trust you. I can't trust you. I, you know, I, I can't go back to jail. And again, to take this long story and condense it, we ended up talking for eight hours. Whilst you were parked? This was yeah. it, just yeah. for eight hours? Yeah. Uh, now, this, the sun had started to rise. The, the sky was lightening up. I was hearing birds singing, and it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard in my life. And at one point I said, you know, I'm, I've been in this cramped position. I'm really, I'm really hurting. Can you, can I get up and stretch? And he said, yeah, but don't do anything funny. I went, no, I'm not going to do anything funny. So he opened the doors to the van. I got up and stretched, you know, for the first time in probably 12 or 12 hours or so. Uh, and he pointed down toward a pond downhill. And so I, I walked down the pond and he was behind me with a gun. I thought, well, he could shoot me in the back and push me into the water. But at the same time, I felt invincible. You know, I didn't feel like that was going to happen. Did and you? So I, I have a question. Yeah. 
you know, this invincible feeling? Is it all also like, well, I've been shot. He's, I'm in the head, I'm bleeding and I'm still here. So it doesn't really matter what happens to me. Or was it more of that love and that light that made you feel invincible? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Both and. Okay, both. Okay. Yeah, I, I was still in this bliss state, you know, and wow. and so and he was included in it. It's like there was there was nothing not included in this love and compassion place I was in. So I, I bent down to the water, washed off the blood from my hands and my my face, and I stood up and turned toward him. Mm-hmm. And he kind of held out the gun and said, "What would you do if I handed you this gun?" And I said, "I'd throw it out in the water." And he looked at me quizzically and he said you wouldn't try to shoot me? You wouldn't kill me? I said, no, why should I do that? You've got your life. I've got mine. We're okay. And then he gave me a really strange look and he said, man, you are the weirdest person I've ever met. (laughs) (laughs) And I knew it was probably the weirdest person he would ever meet, you know? Yeah. Uh, So that's when we went back to the van and talked about how are we going to get ourselves out of this situation? He clearly didn't want to go back to jail. I didn't want to die. And we negotiated and I got him talking about his history, where how he grew up, why he got himself into this situation mm-hmm. when he decided to kill me. Turns out he had decided when his car broke down, he decided to kill whoever stopped to help him. Mm. And I volunteered. He'd already made I, that decision. Yeah. When his right. car and, broke and down. He me, right. He told me he had pulled the gun out many times in the three days to kill me, but he couldn't do it. And I said, why not? He said, because you kept being nice to me. Hmm. And I realized, you know, not many people had been nice to him in his life. Wow. And he told me about poverty and growing up with an alcoholic father who beat him and, uh-huh. you know, and, uh, um, and getting into drug yeah. dealing and going into the army and then being rated an expert marksman in the army, but then going AWOL. I realized, okay, there's something going on here. There's an expert marksman. 12 feet away, hand propped up, either I've got a very hard aura or he didn't want to kill me or (laughs) got looking out for me. I didn't know what it was, but some miracle had happened. So Uh, some people listening or, you know, whoever's listening or, you know, society would be like, why would you not kill him? Why would you negotiate with him for such a long period of time? How could you not be angry at him? how could you possibly be compassionate or have this anything towards him? Well, I could say it's because of God within Mm -hmm. spirit infusion or saying life is precious. I don't know Mm -hmm. what to call it. It could be called by many names, but I was in a state of cosmic consciousness and there was no reason to amplify the negative when I could be the positive. I've told this story many times, including uh, to prisoners at San Quentin prison. And they ask that same question. Why would you, why wouldn't you kill him? I'd kill him. You know, (laughs) I'd say, well, Mm -hmm. that wouldn't, that wouldn't be beneficial. (laughs) There's no, there's no benefit to revenge uh, killing. And they're all quite surprised and, uh, and they get a lesson in compassion that compassion can actually win the day uh, okay. and create safety rather than more danger. So I have a question. 
I actually would not have seen it as revenge. And I'm not a gun person because growing up in England, we didn't have that. But that's very prominent here in America, right to bear arms. And I would have thought just thinking, you know, people thinking, well, we have a right to protect ourselves. And it wouldn't have been really revenge. It just would have been for safety or protection. Because I hear you saying, you know, there's no point. Who does it benefit? So for you, that idea of the right to bear arms or protection that's just like not for you or what are your thoughts on that well i'm not a fan of guns uh i've owned guns mm -hmm. in the past and i've shot them at uh targets and to mm -hmm. get the experience not because i wanted mm -hmm. to to use the guns so i don't have a problem with guns when they're used for their right purpose uh, this, mm. this culture is gun insane We've mm -hmm. gone way past any realm of sanity about guns in this culture. And there's too many people being killed, uh, both mm -hmm. by suicide and by homicide and by gang violence and by you know stupidity. And um, so, uh, yeah, so it's not about the gun. It's about the culture of guns and the the cheapening of life. Now, I was in the state of of the preciousness of life. When you're when you recognize the preciousness of life, why would you take a life? So that's love and compassion. That's not I deserve to own a gun and I can shoot anybody I want. You know, it's a very different mm -hmm. point of view, a di very different belief system about who we are as human beings and what we're here for. Thank you. I'm curious if you can describe of images, the compassion and the love that you felt, what that would look like in an image, only because I feel like the English, or if you have, can say in another language, sometimes I feel like the English language can't get there the way that some other languages can. But is there a way you can describe what that was like, just so you can put people in that space? Because I think it's so, it's just so powerful, if you can. Sure. I, I love language. I've studied it because languages are belief systems, right? And they give us, they mm -hmm. give us access to experiences that we might not have otherwise. From the African Ubuntu, I am because you are. That mm. is a concept that means we, we are one. There's no separation between us. We're part of the one. And that experience of, of oneness is the key to compassion because we recognize you're just another me over there. You're part of me. We're part of the same bigger consciousness and world and, and God self. I think there's only one mind, but we each have a little mm -hmm. fragment of it. So if I harm you, I'm harming a part of myself. Mm -hmm. So that's the experience is recognizing that we are all connected, that we're all part of something greater and that what, what that is, is, is precious and deserves to be cared for and loved and supported. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. And you said Ubuntu? Ubuntu. Ubuntu, yeah. Ubuntu. I love that. Thank you so much for answering that question. Yeah, I just don't. And coming from the Caribbean, there's just some words and phrases that English just doesn't, can't comprehend. And you're like, it's does it translate? So I think that was a perfect translation. Thank you. Um, so tell me, how did this negotiation end? What did it look like? What was the agreement? 
Well, we were talking as the sun was rising and uh, really trying to work out what might get us both out of the situation. It was clear he didn't want to kill me. It was clear I didn't want to be killed. <laughs> uh, it was clear he didn't want to go back to jail. So we, ke I kept making suggestions. Well, how about if if I just don't not turn you in? No, I can't trust you. How about mm -hmm. if I drive myself to the hospital? No, they'll come find me. How about if, you know, so we were going over all these different scenarios. I'm a problem solver. And so I'm coming up with these creative solutions about, well, here's ways we could do it. Um, you could take the van and I, I won't tell them that you took the van. And he said, no, I can't try that. They'd find me. And, I, and so um, it was getting to the point where I had tried everything I could uh, to suggest a way out. And finally, I, I realized, all right, we've just got to be gentlemen about this. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I, I said, all right, here's the deal. I will not turn you in if you promise to never do anything like this again. And he thought about it for a minute and he said, okay. And we shook hands. Wow. And he drove to a place that he knew he took his stuff out of the van. Uh, I sort of walked him out and he was at a bus stop and we shook hands again. He looked at me with a very strange look in his face <laughs> and uh, other people were looking at me going, what happened to that guy? <laughs> uh, and I went back to the van. I drove myself to a hospital. And when the doctor was sewing up my scalp he said what happened i told him and he said well you're a lucky man two bullets grazed you they bounced off your skull and i said yeah. well it wasn't luck it was blessed i'm a blessed man yeah and then it took the next month to try to figure out what was next in my life because i had been reborn but i didn't have to go through that nasty diaper stage <laughs> is that how you see that experience you felt like I died and got reborn, but I got to carry with me everything I already knew. Wow. So did people pressure you to turn in, turn him in? Did you even think well, the about doctors, turning him the, in? The doctor said, you know, you have to report this to the police. I said, yes, I know. And then I walked out and didn't report it to the police because that was my agreement. And I kept my part of the agreement, and I believe he kept his as well. Mm-hmm. And how long ago was this? I was 26, so it was uh, more than 40 years ago. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm I'm 70 now. You're 70 yeah. now. Oh, you look so good, Lion. Thank you. That's, that's what happens <laughs> if you take good care of yourself and you, you stay passionate about life and you, you know, you say you keep learning and growing. Yeah. So at, at that time, you felt like you were reborn again. Um, what did that mean for you? What did that look like? Well, a couple things. I was very clear that I didn't want to be selling stuff on the road anymore. <laughs> that was out. <laughs> like, what is it going to take to get me off the road? Like, I'm done with that job. Um, but I didn't know quite what would happen. I have a friend came mm -hmm. from Las Vegas and kind of hung out with me for a couple of weeks as I sort of put my mind back together because it was my mind was blown, literally. Mm -hmm. uh, and um and so, but then I started looking for work 
And I didn't know what was mm-hmm. next. I was in LA. I'd never lived in LA before. Um, and so I eventually went to this um, recruitment agency, this employment agency, and said, I'm looking for a job and told them what my qualifications were. And the guy said, well, have you ever thought about doing this? And I went, no. <laughs> and he said, well, and he told me all the reasons why it was cool to do mm-hmm. recruiting. And I said, okay, I'll sure, why not? You know, it's the first job offer I got. Um, and that actually became a 25-year career, uh, was headhunting, mm-hmm. which is kind of ironic okay. after having my head hunted to become a headhunter, but you know, <laughs> uh, just trying to balance out life. Wow. Okay. And and did you still keep the same um, love, light, reborn again, um, kind of con- state of consciousness just throughout your life? And of course, I'm sure it would have deepened, but did you still maintain that? Yeah, viewpoint? once you once you know that you don't actually die and that nothing can harm you, it harm your soul, um, you don't forget that. It's like we, mm. our soul cannot die and it cannot be harmed. And so when you recognize that you are a soul and you have a body, you are not your body. You have a mind, mm-hmm. but you are not your mind. You have a spirit, but you are not your spirit. You are the soul. You are the the one in a form embodied. Uh, that doesn't leave you. And so I've lived my life from that place since then. I've also become a businessman and a manager and a, and, and a teacher mm-hmm. and started a school and you know, and gathered all of the tools that I think can help people transform without getting shot. Cause I, I, you know, it was, it was an awakening for me, but I don't recommend it as a path to awakening. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been looking for other, other paths to awaken that that can help people get to that same state, but without going through the trauma. Mm, That's my, that's my work now. It's my passion and it's my Dharma. It's like, this is what I'm here for. Okay. And, so where are you today? Tell us a bit about that. Uh, I have an organization called the Clear Beliefs Institute, and we teach a curriculum, a methodology for consciousness expansion, healing trauma, and awakening. And that comes in the form of many different processes that are integrated together that I teach to coaches, therapists, and healers around the world. I have over 600 graduates in 45 countries around the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is a powerful methodology that really works to awaken people, clear their limiting and negative beliefs about themselves or about others or about the world and wake up to who they really are. And that's mm-hmm. its design and that's what it does. And we have tremendous reports from around the world that this process really works. Mm. And I, I just talked to an executive coach who took one of my first trainings about 15 years ago. And she said, I'm, and she's an executive coach. She works with very high level executives and big organizations. And she said, I still use this process and it's, and everybody loves it. It's amazing. It has incredible results. And, you know, that was from 15 years ago. So I know that the process works. It's been proven over and over again. And it's a synthesis of everything I learned. Cause once I, came back to life and got this new mm-hmm. job, I started taking additional trainings and workshops and, and started doing shamanic studies and, um, and got a girlfriend and got married and had a kid and you know, was a householder. Mm-hmm. I started my own business. And so uh, all of these things happened while I was still 
researching consciousness and trying to understand what is the nature of human nature? Why do we get mm -hmm. ourselves into those positions? Why did his beliefs get him into a, a life of criminality? And my beliefs got me into a life of entrepreneurship. What mm -hmm. makes us successful? Um, what makes life mm -hmm. successful? So these are the questions mm -hmm. that have driven me. And that's what I've been looking for answers to is those, is those big questions of life. And I've come up with my particular formula, a set of tools that allows people to not only help themselves, but also help others. So you know, each one teach one, each one heal one. Yeah, mm -hmm. that sounds so good. You said a big part of what you do, well, there's various things, but um, helping people awaken to themselves, right? So I want to ask the opposite question. Does that mean some people are asleep or we're asleep? What is the opposite of that? Yes, we are most walking, sleepwalking, I would call it, um, because our behaviors, our patterns, our thoughts, our emotions are 95% the same day after day after day. Patterns in relationship, patterns in work, patterns in thought, patterns in you know what your attitude. Uh, these come from the subconscious belief structures. The beliefs to me are the infrastructure of the human mind in the same way that neurons are the infrastructure of the human brain, right? So the beliefs are these deep patterns, the, the conclusions that we came to as children uh, at a very early age because of our experience, but we're multidimensional beings and we're having multidimensional experiences and our beliefs come from our experiences. So beliefs must also be multidimensional. So they're not just a mental construct. You know, I believe in Santa Claus or I believe in less government. Mm -hmm. uh, they are, they're multidimensional constructs that run our lives, mostly at the subconscious level. And mm -hmm. so if you look at all of consciousness, we are, our conscious mind is aware of a tiny fraction of what's happening. And most of it, most of the management of the system is run subconsciously. So in that way, you know, we're a very tiny tip of the iceberg. We're the snowflake at the top of the iceberg uh, and everything else is underwater in the subconscious or the unconscious mind. And so what we do is we go, we dive down into the subconscious mind and, and clear things from there, which is where they're sourced, where our patterns are sourced. So once you clear at the, at the origin point of a conclusion, belief, a trauma, then it's cleared forever and it doesn't come mm. back. And that's what makes our process different and special is that the work we do, the beliefs don't come back again and again and again. It is a complete process and it's a complete healing and it's a complete awakening because okay. once you know who you are, you don't forget. Or if you forget, you remember really quickly because <laughs> somebody reminds okay. you. <laughs> okay. So, to be awakened mm. is to. Oh, I thought you were going to answer the question. <laughs> no, I'm asking you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, to be awakened is to know the whole iceberg. To, mm, to recognize okay. that the iceberg's in an environment and that you're part of the environment and that you're part of everything and that who you are is a soul that has an intention that you're trying to manifest in this world to make a better world. We're all trying to make a better world. Sometimes we make a big mess of it instead of making okay. a better world. So getting okay. to know your true self is getting to know why you're here, what your life purpose is. And you came in with a life purpose 
to fulfill that life purpose. There's many ways to do it, but each person came in with a specific purpose to fulfill in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Um, I love talking to you. Um, I could talk to you forever because you just have a wealth of knowledge. But um, before we go, I have two questions. So, or maybe three. So the first one is, do you have anything you want the listener to know you would like to leave with the listener? Yes, lots. (laughs) Do I have an hour? Uh, (laughs) A few minutes. Okay, okay. Um, So in all my studies uh, of every every discipline and a a variety of sciences and philosophies and religions, um, what I've come to is that our beliefs create a reality, literally. And so if you don't like your reality, change your beliefs. If you don't like Mm -hmm. your relationship, look at your beliefs about relationship and love and and understand them and then change them if they're not working for you. If you don't like your job or your work, look at your beliefs about work and jobs and change your beliefs. And that will change your work. It'll change the nature of your work, how you approach work. Uh, If you don't like your body, find out what's driving it to be the way it is because of the beliefs that got implanted early in your childhood. And when you change those beliefs, your behavior will change and your body will change. So beliefs are really at the core of everything in our life, our thoughts, our emotions. Um, in fact, uh, I'll give you a, an exercise that everyone can do really quickly. Okay? Mm-hmm. So close your eyes, Bianca, and feel what it feels like. Try on the belief there's something wrong with me. And I invite all the listening audience to do that. And just feel what that feels like to hold that belief and to believe that. There's something wrong with me. And what does that feel like to you? Uh, I don't like it. Yeah. What is it? Where, it feels, where's the feelings in your body? It feels uncomfortable in my chest. Mm-hmm. Um, makes me feel tight. It's It's very uncomfortable to believe that. Yeah, it is. And and that's one of the most common beliefs there is out there. Okay, so like take that off as if it was an outfit of clothes that you tried on. And we went, Ugh, I hate that. Get it, yeah. get it off. Yeah. Me. Okay. And now try on the belief, I'm a sacred and worthy being. And feel what that feels like to believe that. And what does that feel like? Peaceful. Mm-hmm. So we've just proven that our beliefs can create our feelings and our experiences, right? So if you don't like Mm -hmm. your experience, change your beliefs. That's the message I want to give to everyone. And I have a a process called belief self-diagnosis that I offer in my uh, eBooks that where you can begin to examine your beliefs in every area of life and see what they're made of and find out whether they're useful or not. And then we have a program for you to clear them um, if you wanted to do that. Love that. Thank you. That was, uh, I love that. That was so powerful. Very peaceful. I'm a sacred being. Okay. So the question I like to ask everyone, what is something messy in your life right now, Lion? What is something messy? Um, my life is a bit of a mess because I, I'm curious about everything. 
<laughs> so consequently, I have, you know, hundreds of unread books and magazines, and my hard drive, I have to keep unloading my hard drive, because I want to read all the articles about everything in the world. Uh, so, so that part is messy. And I'm, I'm now running an institute with staff and people and, and uh, mentor coaches and training people from all over the world. And it's messy to run a business. Um, especially mm-hmm. a teaching business and the environment's changing and the you know, the world is changing. So it's, the world is messy. Um, so I'm kind of a messy person in a messy world and I'm doing the best I can. And uh, I just accept the fact that I'm a mess and life is a mess. And let's, it's also a, a, a sandbox that we can play in. So let's create what we want out of this mess. Mm, yeah. I love that. I love that. I I can relate to having all the books, (laughs) all the tabs open. I can definitely relate. So where can people find you to shower you with love, Lion? Oh, that's That's so sweet. That's so sweet. Uh, So the best place for your listeners is clearyourbeliefs.com. And that's Mm -hmm. a, there's a free ebook there and we have our coaching program there to help people clear their beliefs. Um, We also offer free monthly belief discovery sessions and people can register at beliefrelief.net. So clearyourbeliefs.com and beliefrelief.net. And my personal website with all my articles, including my near-death story, is liongoodman.com. Okay. And one more. Perfect. One more, because I suffer from multiple website disorder. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if people are interested in my training, they can go to clearbeliefs.com. It's an amazing training. Uh, People come out healed, awakened, ready to help serve others and and heal and awaken them. I love that. Well, thank you so much. Um, All that information will be put in the show notes so you can get in touch with Lion there. So thank you, Lion. Thank you, Bianca. It's a true pleasure to meet you and be on your show. So I am still in awe of Lion's story. I'm sure as you are listening, so many things are coming up. You probably might want to go back and listen to this episode again just to make sure you heard the things you heard. But he has a profound, beautiful, compassionate story, you know, an end to the story that just blows the mind of myself, maybe you. Humanity changes the game. And Also, you know, to think that his story happened over 40 years ago, like this is not something that happened recently. This is something that happened 40 years ago. I'm just so grateful that he shared his story. And as always, I want to take some takeaways. And the first one is just how invincible he felt like, and, you know, describes himself as being born again. And in that moment, He was just like, what else do I have to lose? And it makes me think about sometimes when people are like, well, if you're going to die tomorrow, what would you do? And how we wouldn't procrastinate or we would just get things done and not let anything stop us. Just be unstoppable, be fearless and be powerful. And just how when we come close to death and we're still here, we just change our view on life. And but like he said, You don't have to wait for a near-death experience to be awakened. So that really stuck to me. The other one was Ubuntu, the African proverb. I am because you are the essence of being human. And 
in that he didn't want to cause any pain, any more pain or any more harm because he saw the ways in which we are connected as humans. And sometimes it could be really hard to see that or think about that, but how that enabled him to be in this space of forgiveness and letting go the man who shot him and, and actually making a deal. And not to mention that he survived, right? For eight hours, if not longer, he survived. Like he didn't even die in that eight hour conversation. And that really stuck out to me, um, which is my third takeaway, the compassion and the love and how that comes from him, from from God, from, from the spirit, from him, but how it can overwhelm us and really change our viewpoint. And I just think about what does that look like in everyday life when we want to have compassion with ourselves? And then two, we go ahead and we share that compassion, that love and that light with others. And what would the world look like? So I think a good question is what would it look like um, if you were more compassionate with yourself? first. Um, I also love the exercise he did. Love that too. So, so many great gems. This is definitely, I mean, they're all good to share, but share this with someone who really does need some inspiration to be given hope and listen to it again yourself, but please don't forget to rate and review the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Were you inspired by this story? Here are some ways you can shower me and the podcast with your appreciation and support. Follow, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Share the podcast via text with your people, with your tribe. Subscribe to the newsletter where I share my personal stories of discovering the beauty within the mess. And lastly, follow me on Instagram at authenticallybu for tips and insights on overcoming perfectionism so you can embrace your imperfections and authentically be you. Thank you so much for listening to the It Didn't Break Me podcast and remember to discover the beauty within the mess.